Let's get started with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God of mercy, the Father of all consolation, and that you've prepared a home for us, and you've sent Jesus to come to open to us the way home to heaven. I ask that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds, anoint us, that we would truly honor you in all that we say, think, and do today. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Carrie, it's great to be with you, uh, as always, on this Faith and Family edition. And we've got a lot to share. A lot's been gone on, going on. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about your trip to Mount St. Helens. We're going to talk about our trip to Adoration on Tuesday night in the way that the Lord spoke to us in our time of prayer and, and sharing around that. Um, it's also going to lead into the theme of understanding the ache in the human heart, the way that St. Augustine describes that restless heart. And it's more about profundity than it is about intensity. What does that mean? Well, we'll talk about that as well. And uh, that's going to lead into a, uh, a real, um, uh, just a pause and a pondering about the way in which the Lord wants to use us in our lives as stewards of good things and how sometimes, you know what, we just take the Lord for granted. We just take him for granted in um, accepting good things from him and then just going off and and living our own lives with him sort of on the sidelines until, guess what, things get really hard again and then we come back to him with desperate devotion, desperate devotion, and how that's not the way we want to live. Uh, but to begin... Carrie, uh, I think it's fitting that we begin with um, just a, a brief reflection um, and sharing about um, your Uncle Khan, your Uncle Khan, and how he um, went home to God, uh, went home to God just a couple of days ago. Um, so, Carrie, where do you want to begin with that? Well, why don't you share about St. Faustina and the day he died? You know, I uh, when you and I found out that your Uncle Khan died, um, and he died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Um, he had lived a, a long, full life, um, about 88 years old, I believe. And um, I, I said to you, Carrie, I said, oh, wow, I know that he was a very devout Catholic man. And I just was like, I, I would have wanted for him to have been anointed, right? To receive the anointing of the sick and uh, as, a, as a sign as a sign from heaven that he was prepared and ready to go. And I said that, and then you came to find out later something that was just a, a beautiful, put a beautiful like smile on my face. Like God is so faithful. He is so faithful. And the first element of that was what you just shared, uh, St. Faustina, that in fact, um, the feast of St. Faustina was two days ago or three days ago uh, on the 5th. When we're um, we're recording this, it's uh, it's on the seventh. This is Thursday, and um, it was on the fifth. That's the feast of Saint Faustina. Um, that um, uh, our uncle Con, your uncle Con, uh, died. He went home to heaven, and and guess what? His one of his uh, favorite um, devotions was well, it was the um, devotion of uh, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, which was brought to the world by St. Faustina, this Polish nun who lived uh, in the, uh, in, in the, she was born in the late 1800s, and then she died in the, um, in the first half of the, towards the end of the first half of the last century. And it was St. John Paul II who had a great devotion to this message of divine mercy that the Lord gave to this humble, sickly, uh, unnoticed religious sister um, living um, in in Poland, just before the Second World War, and how the Lord spoke to her about this ocean of mercy, about the encompassing, uh, the encompassing mercy of God, like an ocean, and that we ought never to doubt the mercy of God. And the Lord used that woman to bring this message and the Divine Mercy Chaplet uh, to the world as a sign that the world needed to know about God's mercy. And so this was a devotion that, Carrie, you told me that um, he would pray every day. Yes, every day at 3 o'clock. And my little sister, Christine, would um, go to his room because he lived in the basement of my mom and 
dad. Well, my dad's not alive anymore, but she would go down there, and at 3 o'clock they would pray the rosary and do the Divine Mercy. They would pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet during the Hour of Mercy. So at the 3 o'clock hour, it was called the Hour of Mercy, and it was especially during that hour that the uh, mercy of God was being poured forth upon the world, and we ought to go to the Lord with great confidence, with the greatest of confidence, during this hour of mercy. Well, lo and behold, the hour that Uncle Khan died was during the three o'clock hour, during the hour of mercy. And so not only did Uncle Khan, this very faith-filled and faithful Catholic, who uh, lived his life as a humble man, a humble man before the Lord. He wasn't rich, he wasn't famous, he wasn't powerful, he didn't have influence in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God, the beautiful sign that heaven gave that he was drawn home, called home to heaven on the feast of St. Faustina during the hour of mercy, during the three o'clock hour. I, you know, that brought, that brought me great comfort. I just was like, wow, God, you're so good. You're so faithful to your faith-filled servants. I, that, that's how I, I, it struck me, Carrie. So building on that, it, it made me think about the concept of a journey and how the Lord has planted us here on earth on the way, right? We live our lives on the way, that heaven is our true home. And it is uh, in taking actions that are, um, that, that express that sense of life is a journey. Life is like you have to pick yourself up. There is no true home here that you have to make your way on a journey that it can be actually quite invigorating. It can kind of, it can bring that sense of like cleansing, that kind of, that kind of stripping down, that kind of sense of saying, you know what, it's not always that comfortable. And that's something that you experienced recently, dear when you went on a science field trip with our seventh grade daughter, Annalise, um, as part of uh, the beginning of the school year with, uh, with uh, our kids at the Oaks Classical Christian Academy, um, you went off and left me to be Mr. Mom at home. But we're not here to talk about that. I got to tell you, I came to appreciate the gift that you bring to this home at a whole new level. It's like, how do I forget this? Well, let me just say your absence made me remember it. So, uh, but we're not here to talk about that. That I, I'm still carrying the I, wounds. I think we should explore that more. <laughs> just dig into that. Appreciation for you. I love that. But how about your appreciation for the comforts of home being on the, uh, the, the rigorous trip to Mount St. Helens? Well, I didn't know what to expect. And this is just this email that came out saying, come on this trip for four days, three nights. And uh, we stayed at a Christian campground. And... It wasn't at a spa resort. No, <laughs> but um, it was actually, I said to the the teacher that led it, it's actually like what you would experience maybe on a search retreat if they just tweaked it a tiny bit because you are spending four rigorous days up early, like 6 a.m., and then to bed, well, 10 o'clock at night, but you go all day and these different um, adventures, and then you come back around six for dinner. And it was just very um, unifying, and it just pressed people to a different limit. Like, I would not, like, get up at 5 a.m. to go on a hike, but if I'm on a tour or a pilgrimage or some kind of um, space where someone leads it and they say, okay, this is what you have to do, then I step up, and I'll I'll follow through. And so that's what I actually kind of need. But... um Go ahead. I think that's really uh, that's really cool. I and you know it just shows the importance of fellowship, right? That the things that we won't be willing to do on our own. When you make a commitment, uh, then that gives you the strength yes. to say, "I'm going to just lean into the commitment I made that launched me on this journey," and it's just going to mean I don't have to think about it. I don't have to make the decision every day to get up and do that action. No, I'm already launched. There's no choice now. I've already made my choice. Let me just move forward with it. Yes. And so we went on this trip in, in a bus with like 20 or 15 parents and 30 kids. And um, this teacher has led this exercise for 20 years. So he knows this mountain and all that's involved with Mount St. Helens. And I'd never been there. I just think that we always just went to Mount St. Mount Rainier because it was really close to our home. 
and it wasn't blown apart. So it's like, well, why would you go to the mountain that's like all blown apart? Why don't you just go to Mount Rainier? It's a lot closer. And um, it was so just beautiful because we were there in a fall uh, week and um, it was, praise God, it was clear. So you could see the mountain. You could see all the different mountain peaks around there. And um, it Carrie, was... I'm going to use two words that um, that seem to evoke um, the attitude that you would describe when you talked to me on the phone and when you came back. It's the words awe and wonder, awe and wonder, as you were encountering like different, like drawing close to this mountain and the awe of the power of creation yes. and, and of the explosiveness of this mountain, this volcano that erupted and what it did and how it blew out the side and the, and the wreckage of the, of the trees and the lava flows. And uh, you describe it. Well, the ash flow, mud flow, it wasn't lava at this time, but, um, no, those, those are actually really good words. And I just didn't realize the magnitude of the, the creation being, um, moving forward in time, I guess. Well, the power of God, right? It just seems to me that when we, we talk about God as the creator of the universe, he holds all things in his hands. And when you were like able because of this trip to draw close to Mount St. Helens, it's so easy to look at it as like a picture on the internet, or you see a picture of it at a distance, or even if you're driving, you know, in the Puget Sound area and, and you're headed south on I-5 and you go by and you just sort of look at it at a distance, you know, it has a kind of a cool, you know, it's like, oh, wow, that's kind of a wow factor. But when you draw close to it and you realize, wow, like you were just, I, I just remember how struck I was at how struck you were. <laughs> I'm so glad you remember. <laughs> at, like how big this is. It's like, it would carry, it was, you just, you would just, you, you were like at a loss for words. It was so amazing. Well, the cool thing about this trip is that our science teacher who does science, I think seventh grade through the high school or sixth grade through the high school, he, um, as a six-year-old, was following the story of Mount St. Helens in Michigan. So he loves science and creation and the beauty of God and, through biblical perspective and it it was so holy and um encouraging anointed just his own enthusiasm and his love for god and his love for the creation just was was able to radiate out towards all of us on this trip and i didn't know like i said i didn't know what to expect and just to be able to spend time every morning we're on this bus tour so a couple hours maybe or 45 minutes to get to the next zone in the on the mountain range um, was spent in devotions and prayer and in Genesis and God's creation and just different dads would get up that were called upon to teach or to reflect on that and then having different kids share through, you know, on the bus they had a microphone so you could just really build towards what we were about to see. And then he had found some of the best hikes and best um, exercises to do around that mountain and so it was just so much more than just um, a field trip where you're learning about science. It was all infused with God's creation, God's holiness, God's power. That. And, and that, that's the link between science and faith is that when you look at the world, it's not an object that science dissects. It's creation. It's the work of art that God has made. And when you come close to creation and you use the tools and the learnings and the insight that science and scientific rigor can bring, you're never departing from the overarching perspective or awareness that this is the handiwork of God. And all I can say is that is so refreshing to, to, to hear the way in which our kids in their schooling is always having the the topic, whatever the topic, it's immersed, it's dipped in faith as the as the framework. I think that's just so very helpful. Yeah, and you know, you hear this term worldview, and it's this Christian worldview of how do you see what you see when you look outside your window, or when you drive on the freeway, or when you you know encounter a lake or a mountain, and it was just brought a depth of spirituality and anointing to the whole trip that I was not expecting. 
So, you know, Carrie, the funny thing is, is that you talked about how you see, how you see, how you see, but one of the most impactful <laughs> parts of your trip involved not seeing. It involved being in the dark. Well, what are we talking about? You're going to hear about that story, which is really, I think, the coolest story of all um, from your trip to Mount St. Helens. Back in a minute with more faith, uh, with some more sound insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with my lovely wife, Carrie. Dear, thanks for being with me today. I really appreciate it. I always appreciate you being on with me. And, uh, and folks, I love hearing from you as well. I do encourage you to go to mycatholicfaith.org. You can there sign up for our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Just click on that little button. You also have free resources available to you, digital downloads, um, books, videos, audio, all of that stuff available free of charge for you on mycatholicfaith.org. So Carrie, um, we're talking about your trip to Mount St. Helens as part of the science trip with our seventh grade daughter, Annalise. And, um, and did I mention that I got left home alone? Yes, to be Mr. not Mom? alone. You had like six kids. With I know you. five kids at home to take care of. I appreciate you, dear. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, I appreciate you <laughs> at a whole new level. <laughs> well, it was the first week back to school, so we came back on Monday, and then Tuesday we left at six a.m. So you were in the throes of trying to find out where our books are, where are the supplies. And I was kind of caught off the uniforms. guard. I was like, wait a minute, you're leaving tomorrow? <laughs> how did I not know this? Like, remember I was saying that? I'm like, how did I not know I this? How did know. this happen? And how long? You're going to be gone for how long? Wait a minute, what are we going to do for dinner? So you had to calm me down, sit us down, and kind of walked us through the whole week. It was so good. You used your great organizational gift to map out each of the days, who needed to be where? Okay, Tom, you're just making me sound way better it was so than good. it was. It was so helpful. <laughs> it was so helpful. And my backup plan was? Uh, Domino's. Domino's, pizza, and I think we actually did a, what's that Uber, for that food DoorDash. Thing? DoorDash. We did a DoorDash because we had a credit or something. So that was- <laughs> You can't remember. I, I was can't so remember. I'm still wounded. <laughs> I've kind of blocked out those memories. So, so. But talking about your trip- um, you talked about the like the the beautiful way in which God's creation shone forth, but one of the most impactful things actually had to do with the dark. Well, we went to this um, place on the on the second or third day. Um, it's called the Ape Caves, and it's actually formed like two thousand years ago. So it's not part of the recent eruption, and it, it's where lava had flowed down the volcanic mountain in like streams, and then. When the lava cools, see how scientific I am? I learned all this stuff. <laughs> um, this outer crust would form, and then it would allow the molten lava, the hot lava, to flow or continue flowing, and it would create tunnels. And you would think these tunnels are small, maybe, but you could actually, in parts of these tunnels, drive a Greyhound bus through it. They're huge. Did you guys try? We, yeah. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> in, in, the, in the tunnels, um, it's pitch black, and it... It's really interesting um, because it maintains a 42-degree temperature at all times, winter, summer. Really? Yes. So wow. It's Just local. because it's like protected from the elements on the outside. Uh, as a oh, that's so interesting. I don't know. Yeah, something but, like that. you know, it was probably about 100 feet long, the dark tunnel. Yeah, three-fourths a mile. It took us like an hour and a half to get through because... Yeah, I just say that out loud. Three-quarters <laughs> of a mile, mile walk through, but it was a paved road inside, very flat, right? No. No, I'm kind of teasing Just you because silly. you were telling me the story and it was clambering up and down rocky kind of like terrain. Yes. Like a couple of guys came out with like, they needed like attention from uh, one of the gals was a nurse. Um, like they hit their heads and stuff because some of the areas are really narrow. And at one part I had two different dads helping me get up and over this like boulder. Um, but then you would go into this open wide lane like a greyhound bus could fit through and then you would find other parts where i guess it would have fallen in and there um the the rock is very unforgiving so you can cut your fingers and your knees and your your um hit your head so it was typical that people could come out with injuries but um the kids loved it i mean imagine a bunch of boys which is mostly that class is boys with um, headlamps or flashlights flying through this tunnel as fast as they could and just trying to figure out who could get there or get through it quickest. But, you know, they weren't allowed to do that. Um, so I was one of the last <laughs> persons to come through it. And um, one of the neat parts of this trip is not just like the faith that surrounded um the teacher, but the parents and their love for God and just hearing their stories of how they came to the Oaks or how God is working in their lives or what's going on with the recent um, 
change in our culture, um, we were able to have a moment where one of the dads um, had us all turn off our lamps and lights, and he lit a match and just gave this whole sermon, which was like five minutes, on how the scripture of, you know, you don't want to put your light under a bushel, but you want to set it out for all to see. And it was amazing, just this one tiny match and the light that it sent through the cave. And at that point, we sang the doxology. Um, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Mm-hmm. Praise him, all, all creatures, creatures here below. Here below. Oh, wow. Below. Ooh, I was singing the I just song. got tingles, Carrie. That was really good. And um, so how else does it go? Praise him above you, heavenly hosts. Heaven, so above. Mm-hmm. Um, praise... Father, Father, Son, and Son, Holy, Holy Ghost. Ghost. <laughs> Good. It was not we, a trick question, Carrie. <laughs> These are skills that I don't have. Anyhow, um, as we sang that, it was just this holy moment of being on earth and being in the dark and being in where God has created. And it was just profound. I don't know. I just found it very moving. Um, anyhow, that was one of our experiences, but every day had just multiple encounters of God's creation. It was awesome. Well, and what I like about that is the rarity of that experience of being in complete darkness, right? If you're talking about a cave that's three quarters of a mile long, it's not like you have light seeping in from one side or the other. I mean, you are in you know, they call it pitch black. You could not see your hand. Yeah. You're in front just of in you, yeah. pitch, pitch, pitch black. And so to shut off all the lights, that is a bit freaky. Hey, and just a shout out to the Oaks. We were the first tour they've had since COVID. We were the first school, the really? first geological group, the first high school, college group, whatever you want to say. We were the first tour they had. So I just love the courage and the strength. And the confidence that they put in God or Creator to do this trip and make it happen. So I was oh, that's just awesome. I didn't yeah, know that. That was really cool. So they were a light in the dark. Yes. So, but then to put on one little match, and you're saying it gave off a ton of light, and it's like, um, you know, you hear that phrase: "It's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness." Uh, that you you don't think that that's a big deal. You don't think it's a big deal to have like, uh, oh, what's one candle going to do in the midst of this consuming darkness? But it's like, no, no, no. light crowds out darkness. Light makes the nothingness of darkness become manifest through its enlightenment. Yes. So get on Twitter and just start tweeting away the light of God. (laughs) I'm just kidding. How about just realizing that you don't realize, recognizing that you're not always aware of the impact that you have on someone's life when you shine the light of Christ. Amen. That it has a power, a capacity to influence, to, to, to help bring about a shift, to help bring about a change, because the power of light to crowd out the darkness, the power of light to bring a sense of um, of um, uh, realization of where we are, right? If you're just in the dark, then you don't have the contours. You don't know the way forward. You don't know the way out. You're just literally stuck. Yes. But one little bit of light, all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's the way. This is the way. This way. Come on, guys. Let's yeah. go. Just let's like go. waving your hand, pointing the flashlight. Here we go. And I think, Tom, that when I was in that darkness and saw that that match lit, I thought, wow, how many times do I allow the enemy to discourage me, to darken my own sense of where I'm going, to make me feel like I'm not important or that my actions don't really matter that much? And this just compromise of how we give over, how I give over easily to my own mindset and also to that which is not truth. You know, Carrie, you were talking about that just, it was, I don't know, it was yesterday or it wasn't this morning. I think it was yesterday. You were talking about, um, you were reading Jacques Philippe, uh, Interior Freedom, and um, just reflecting on that reality of trusting in God. And um, you were sharing with me some of the ways in which your own thoughts were attacking you. You didn't call it that, but that's how I, I, how I referred to it. And um, I said, just give it over to God. 
Just just surrender it over to God. And you're like, how do I do that? Um, do you remember that? Yes, I think it was this morning. I think it was because, um, so this, the next couple of days are kind of busy with, um, I'm, we're doing dinner or a, a party here tomorrow night. And then um, I, a party. party. Very nice. <laughs> it's a ladies fellowship night. You talk about ladies fellowship. <laughs> And uh, it's going to be a woman's aglow. You women are going to be glowing. (laughs) You're going to kick because you're coming from adoration. That's what it is. Um, No, I think that's really neat what's happening. You guys, um, mass on Friday night at Father Lewis's parish, St. Mary's. And then after his adoration, which I love that, that he has adoration after mass on Fridays. And then there are a bunch of women that are going to meet at adoration or mass and then adoration. And then uh, confession and confession. That's right. They better, maybe she could confess it after. Right? <laughs> but um, you guys had done this um, a few weeks ago, and afterwards you'd gone out to a like a, a restaurant uh, yes. or like a, a like a restaurant that had a place where you could sit and have drinks. And you're like, why do we do that? Let's just do it at our house. Well, I was just glad that the gal that organized it did it, and I'm like, let's just go, let's do this. But I would rather have it in a home just because it's more warm and comfortable and cost friendly. And so I just had offered to her, hey, I'll host it because we're real close to St. Mary's. And I actually don't know who or how many are coming, but um, we're hosting that Open tomorrow. Open house. Come on, let's go <laughs> if you're in the area. You should see the amount of work I'm getting done around this house. The cleaning. The carpets are actually getting Did you cleaned. you slave driving? <laughs> the, the toilets are getting cleaned. I actually need like parties just to motivate me to get things in, you know, tip top shape. But besides that, um, I'm doing the, well, you're paying for it, the um, lunch at the, for the staff at the Oaks um, the same day. And so just trying to organize that and bring that all up there. And then just when I was at Costco yesterday, buying a bunch of different things for the different events, I thought, well, what are my motives? And I started to doubt, like, I did this out of a genuine spirit of generosity and wanting to serve and wanting to be in fellowship and wanting to support and encourage. And then I started to doubt my own sense of, well, why am I doing this? And I started to question, well, why do I, you know, put forth all this effort and time? Am I trying to seek accolades or, you know, the the affirmation of man? Or am I um, wanting to be popular or just this kind of dumb, <laughs> just kind of dumb thoughts going through my head, which were not even present when I said, oh yeah, sure, I'll do that. Oh, I'd love to do this. Just really genuinely wanting to do a good thing and serve and be um, of service. And so I think that was part of what you're saying, Tom, but it also, I mean, there's a whole nother element of that regarding our children and, and raising our kids. And I think that related to adoration. So well, and and what's interesting is you brought up a dynamic that is so very prevalent in anyone who's striving to live for God. Do you and, feel that then? Do you have those? Yeah, I remember way back when as a beginner <laughs> in my journey <laughs> that it was this a is, tempt- No, this is actually what I live with because you actually excel very well. And I sit there and watch you and go, how do you do all that? I just don't even know how you stay on top of all this stuff. And I just sit there from my bed, go, honey. <laughs> Don't forget to wash the pants. <laughs> You're so good, dear. That's why I love you. No, they, I was teasing. The prevalence is what? Is that the devil is going to attempt to get in there and spoil something that's pure. Yes. The devil is going to come in and try to put a, an obstacle, a stumbling block in front of people who are striving to serve the Lord. And so he's going to use whatever entry points he can. And it's such a common entry point to say, you got mixed motives. You don't have pure motives. You know, and so I, oh, really now, why are you doing and that? The, the interesting thing is I had no bad motives initially, like the, those weren't even my thoughts. And so to allow that to creep in, to allow that to subtly dislodge my hope and faith and trust and question my um, motives makes me very vulnerable. So I think that's why I, I think that's why we're hesitant to be in community. I think that's why we're hesitant to be in like that, that more tight felt fellowship is because you you're going to get exposed. You're going to expose. You're going to face your weaker areas of, uh, do I really want to be called out or do I really want to be judged or not accepted and loved? And, and it's just really interesting just to see that unfold in my own heart and mind. Well, I just, I, I just need to share, Carrie. It's a girl thing. So, <laughs> it's probably, no, I mean, it's true. You, I, hey, if you were going hunting or shooting with a bunch of guys, I'm sure you, or wait, playing, if fa- I was going to play flag, basketball, like football. I would Flag be football. A I see it all. Competitive. I see all the guy stuff show up. That's I'm right. Like, the, what the, is wrong with you? That's just so dumb. 
<laughs> Do you think that of me? I, what is wrong I, you know with you, what? honey? You're I so dumb. That, That's so stupid. So it's funny because you'll say that the um, the typical sin of women, right? The most common sin of women is envy. Or being comparison. And how does that relate to being, to compare? To- yeah. Right. Envy is the, essentially, it's the sin of comparison. Okay. And, and why is that? It's that when you see what someone else has and it makes you sad. So it's sadness at someone else's good. So just stay off Instagram, stay off Facebook, stay off any kind of... <laughs> yeah, well, it's... it's I mean, it's, that's it's the, the Essentially, latest... it's the sin that emerges out of competitiveness and comparison. And that's what's come out of the latest research done with Facebook, how they hid all that knowledge that Instagram is actually causing these teenage girls extreme harm, suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety. And they knew this and yet preyed on them and continued to promote their whole platform. Yeah, so envy, right? Envy is the, is the women's thing. And, and it's a terrible, right? What a terrible thing that they would promote that uh, through Instagram. And on Facebook, you heard that what they did was is they would, um, they would stir the emotion that would um, foster the greatest amount of engagement. And you know what that emotion was? Let's fight. Let's go, man. Hatred. To the mattress. Anger. And so if you could foster anger through what was showing up in their feed, they would stay engaged. Yes. And so they would give divisive content, content that they could tell algorithmically, you know, that you would get stirred by. I wish people knew that. That's terrible. I hope that people would know that and be aware of what it happens. You don't find that on Sound Insight. We'll be back in a minute. (laughs) Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carn. I'm with my wife, Carrie. Carrie, it's great to be with you today. And um, it's just a good thing we're not comparing, right? What, what each of us... <laughs> so I, I think that what you were sharing, again, in a beautiful way, very authentically about what emerges inside of you. And, and you know, I think that it emerges very commonly in women where they're comparing and competing as it regards others. I think men can compete in, in a different way. Um, and so that's part of it. Maybe it's more pride um, or jealousy. Uh, so yeah, it's not that men are immune to it. I don't. I just don't think it's the the most dominant sin that men face. But uh, I, it, one of the things that then comes up is okay, we can name the condition. Well, how do we treat it? How do we treat it? And I had said, well, honey, surrender it to God. And you're like, how do I do that? Um, and I see that you have spiritual freedom, uh, interior freedom open by Father Jacques Philippe. Is there a quote here that's relevant or are you? The funny um, thing about this book, Tom, is I just carry it with me all the time. I just pop it open and I do Bible bingo with it. So in adoration the other night, I was like, okay, Lord, I was really struggling in adoration, our 10 o'clock time period, which I kind of like fight all the way and you heard me in the car. Yeah, it was, it was again, it was, <laughs> well, it was nice because afterwards, after adoration, when we come home, you were like, well, what did God say to you? Like, how was your time of prayer? And I asked the same thing of you. And I just thought the Lord gave you a beautiful gift and it was very relevant to this, to this conversation. Yeah. And, um, j- just during adoration, I was like, okay, Lord, just, can you speak to this place in my heart where, and this wasn't related to the margarita night and it wasn't related to bringing lunch. It was- Carrie, it's a fellowship night fellowship. that happens to have margaritas. <laughs> not a margarita night I don't that know happens why. to have I fellowship. Just, I found this, that margarita mix at Costco and you just, I think it was from the graduation party, you just throw it over ice. And then my sister said, just add half and half. And it's this creamy kind of healthy- but it has the tang of lime and the sweet of the, I don't know, it's the triple sec. And they t- it just tastes so good. So I've been really enjoying margaritas lately. I'm like, oh, I'm going to make margaritas for everyone. It's super easy. Just throw some ice in a blender and push a button. But um, quite, on- quite honestly, I, um, during adoration, was just bringing to the Lord my sense of I am worried about my children. And it was this whole comparison thing of... Um, looking at people around us and in this jealousy of holy families. And I think for a Catholic mom, that might be a thing. And so I was like, well, these other families know their saints better, or these other families, their kids actually like to go to the Latin Mass, or these other families, their children enjoy going on these um, retreats where you get up at 6 a.m. and pray a rosary, (laughs) or they really enjoy praise and worship or reading their, you know, 
texts or homeschool, whatever it is, just fill in the blank, really. And so there was a sadness and like, I'm like, Lord, why do I feel like I'm, that it's not enough? Like, I feel like we do so much and yet I feel like it's not enough. And I can't do every perfect thing. And I even can't even do half of the things well. And it's not in my hands. My kids have their own agency. They need to choose their faith. And we can, you know, till the soil as much as we can. And we can allow for them to be surrounded by great faith-filled people and put them in a school where there's a lot of scripture and, and godly men and women. But at a certain point, it's their freedom to choose. And so there's this sense of, am I doing enough as a parent to help my child choose that? And you know, I can see how people would say, "Well, it's grace. It's God's grace. He chooses. He calls. He, he, you know, predestines." And then at the same point, it's like, "But no, <laughs> if I just walk them through the sinner's prayer, <laughs> or bring them to this encounter with a, you know, a super awesome story about Metagoria or the miracles of, you know, pick a saint, that they would, you know, choose that." And anyhow, so as I'm sharing this with the Lord, not in all those details, of course, I'm just trying to explain how you can get there. Um, he said, just turn to page 86. Now that sounds so dumb, right? But <laughs> I opened up to page 86 in Jacques Philippe's book. It says this, the past casts its shadow over the present whenever we brood about our old failures and yesterday's choices. Of course, we should ask God's forgiveness for our faults and should learn from them where appropriate. But once we've said we're sorry and meant it, that is enough. While seeking to make amends where possible for the harm we have caused, most of the time, we should simply leave things in God's hands, trusting Him to put everything right. We must put a stop to attitudes or thoughts that keep us from living trustingly in the present moment. And I just prayed through that with some of the thoughts I just shared. And I don't mean to like share so vulnerably, but you know, these are things like that, you know, what goes through someone's head every day, all day? What goes through your mind? I mean, I think if I lived in someone else's brain and heard how they thought, I would be like, oh my gosh, it's so different than how I live my moment to moment. But I just want to share, this is what I think about, <laughs> especially in adoration when I'm trying to like make the most of that hour. Um, but just sometimes just feeling like I've had all these years with my kids and they're now growing up and now I have the youngest is a third grader and have I wasted time? Have I missed opportunities? Have I been selfish and self-centered and not wanting to grow them in their faith. And, you know, I, I want to make the best use of that time and have it lead me to repentance and have me change. But yet you're talking about a human person who's just limited with my own, you know, quirkinesses and weaknesses and human needs to have time for me. And so anyhow, that was just a place where God was speaking to me and just trying to love me and allow me to breathe. I think just to release, to let go, because I feel like as time goes on, as we get older, things become more tight and there's more tension and there's less flexibility and there's less um, breath and less space to just surrender and let go. And I don't want to be that person that gets to 80 years old and is like, you know, because you can see how that happens, that people get older and they get more stuck in their ways and limited. And I thought it was going to be more open and more free and more like, yay, let's go, God. What's so funny is that you're talking about it now from the standpoint of being 80 and saying, I want to look back from 80 and realize how far I've come. Like, you know, <laughs> when we've spent 27 years of being married and it's like, when am I going to get there? I know, but then I look back. So, so Funny. It's kind of like COVID. Like we said this at the time, had we known we were going to be stuck in lockdown for a year or whatever it was. I would have been buff. What would we have done differently? <laughs> I would have been running like... marathons. I would have been buff. I would have gotten there must another be a... degree. I would have... Yeah, <laughs> I it, it is. It's fascinating. You did. Huh? You got your real estate license. I think that when you look back at time, it feels like I could have done so much. But when you look forward, it seems like a big mountain to climb. Yeah, that that's an interesting perspective um it's stopping and thinking about like from the present moment do i measure backwards and say look how far i've come or do i say where do, what do i want it's called scenario planning okay. imagine you're out there and then look back and say thanks be to god i responded the way i did at this point so that when i get to that point at 80 i won't have that attitude i'll have this attitude instead. yes i think if i do a year it helps like if we do like or six weeks can you just do an hour one month that'd be awesome <laughs> just kind of make it through an hour dear i so. know so true 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, you know what? That's, it's, it's very realistic reflections. And I think that um, for me, the, one of the endearing things that is such an important message for folks that are listening right now is that God worked through you by communicating to you in a way that you were ready to receive. In other words, you have this expectant faith that the Lord will actually speak to you, that you go to adoration, and even if you're tired and cranky and you're resisting and all of that, you know what? The living God will still meet me where I'm at, and he'll communicate to me. And you had that sense of like discernment, that sensitivity that said, page 86. And you went there, and it was like this pleasant surprise. Wow, Lord, you took the cranky, resistant, lethargic me, and you still spoke to me exactly the word I needed to hear. I just love that about God. I love that. And Tom, in that little section, it also says this to add to that. But if the sense of time wasted gets us down and makes us feel we have ruined our lives, we must reject it. And I think that was the most important thing. It says to look to lock ourselves in the past would only add another sin to those already committed. It would be a serious lack of trust in the infinite mercy and power of God who loves us and wants always to offer us a new chance to become holy Despite the past, we, when the thought of how little progress we've made threatens to overwhelm us, we must make an act of faith and hope such as, thank you, my God, for all my past, even those feelings, Tom. I firmly believe that you can draw good out of everything I've lived through. I want to have no regrets, and I resolve today to begin from zero with exactly the same trust as if all my past history were made up of nothing but faithfulness and holiness. Nothing could please God more than that. That is so cool. I love that. Um, in fact, it it, um, it evokes something that I had kind of come to in my own reflections in my journaling this week. And I started to talk about Unsound Insight. And it was these enemies that hold us back today. One was passivity. Mm-hmm. And you talked about that, like not engaging with our kids. And the other one was waste. Mm-hmm. That sense that we've wasted time. And how the Lord wants us to choose him even when the world would consider that a waste yes so there's so much more to say about that but um, we're up against a break so when we come back uh, we'll continue the conversation uh, this is tom Kern along with my dear sweet wife carrie all right back in a minute with more sound insight just welcome back to sound insight this is tom Kern. it's great to be with you so so, Carrie, um, we just talked about this idea of um, not wanting to waste your life. And it's interesting because I listened to a homily. Uh, maybe it might have been like a, a TV show, um, but it was of Archbishop, or a Bishop, not Archbishop, Bishop Fulton Sheen. And the name of the talk was Waste, Waste Your Life for God. Like, uh, and it was based on that like contrast between you don't want to just waste your life. You got one chance to live your life. Don't waste it. And don't waste your time on things that are useless. Um, and he said, instead, spend your life on God and nurturing that relationship with God, even if the world considers it a waste. Use your gifts, the gifts that God has given you, for him, for his kingdom, for the building up of people's lives and faith, rather than just for, uh, for earthly reasons, for earthly pursuits, for earthly goals. And... It was a really powerful talk. It was a powerful talk, but it, it got me thinking about our time in adoration. On Tuesday night when we were at adoration, you, you alluded to it. I, I alluded to it way at the beginning of the program and then um, referenced it a little bit earlier, how during adoration afterwards, you were asking me, I, I you had shared about what had happened to you in adoration. And, and for me, I was focused on this idea of I come to God with a sense of urgency, with a sense of fervor, when I'm feeling desperate, when there's a situation that is beyond my control, that I'm powerless in the face of, and um, and, and then I'm quick to cry out to God with tremendous like fervor, zeal, consistency, persistence, until the Lord responds. But then as soon as the Lord responds, I shouldn't say as soon as, <laughs> but when the Lord responds, then it's easy to just go back to a kind of, oh, thank you, Whew, that that's over with. Now I can kind of go back to living my own life. And 
it, it made me feel like those um, ungrateful lepers who were healed. You know, the 10 lepers were healed at a distance. They cried out to the Lord for healing. And then um, they all, you know, received the blessing they wanted. And then they go their way. And only one came back who was grateful, who came back praising God and was grateful for what the Lord did for him. And it just, it, it, it was a bit convicting to me that um, I need to be careful about not only pursuing God with a sense of fervor, with a sense of like, like, come what may, I will pray. No matter how difficult or tired I am, I'm going to come before the Lord in prayer. Um, when everything's going well, when everything's going peaceful, peacefully. <laughs> and, and then the, the second part of it was, well, one of the reasons to do that was that when I'm not desperate and I'm experiencing a sense of fullness of God, God's provision and protection and God's care is in an abundance in my life, that it's precisely in those moments where I have the opportunity to be useful to the Lord as a conduit of his blessings to those people that come into the sphere of influence that I have that I can, I can reach out to. It's like, no, wait a minute. When I'm not desperate and everything's going well for me, there are others who are desperate. And you know what? The Lord says, I want to use you to reach the desperate. I want to use the abundance that I've given to you. I've put it into your hands, but it's not only for you, it's for others. And so I want you to share generously of your time on phone calls, talking with people who are really struggling with how do I make it through the situation I'm facing as a family right now when this world is so crazy and the church is struggling. I'm struggling in my relationship with the church and my kids are struggling in faith. I mean, how, many time, how much time do I spend on the phone? you know, talking to families like that. And it's like, how can I not? How can I not be waste my time, if you will, for God and being useful to him in sharing out of the abundance that the Lord has given to me? And then sharing not just time, but um, resources. So feeling convicted that the people that the Lord has connected us to uh, around the world that we um, can support. I missed a month's payment. I missed a monthly commitment to share uh, with this family that we've been supporting for a while. And it's like, how did I not remember to to send them that monthly gift? And it was like, oh, everything was going fine for me. And so I didn't need to remember them. So those were the things that, that jumped out at me, Carrie. Uh, and I, I shared those with you last night. And I'm uh, on Tuesday night when we were driving home from our adoration time. So when Father John Ricardo says this remark, just to waste your time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, does he get that from Bishop Fulton Sheen? You know, it could be. It, it could be that. It, you know, it's, uh, I don't know if it, you call it a truism, but it's one of those almost throwaway lines, like go waste time with God, right? Because it's, it's considered, when you consider time wasted, what is one of the principal attributes of that time? It's that it is not productive. Like, what did you get done? What did you accomplish? Like, show me some measurable result that came from that prayer or from that activity. And when you're productive, right, you have something to show for it, well, then it's worth it. Versus how much time do you waste it's just like going through videos or watching shows or playing a game and you're just like, I wasted time and I'm never going to get that time back. And, and that's often what we can think about our time with God is, is that we don't see and we can't easily measure often the results of prayer. So it's considered wasted time. You know, Carrie, that actually brings up another distinction that I heard in a podcast. Sometimes you'll say to me in a podcast, Tom, respond to this. I'm listening to it and it sounds good, but it feels like there might be something missing. And uh, the podcast you shared with me, it actually had some relevance to adoration and wasting time with God. And the in the podcast, um, this woman was sharing about going deeper in prayer. And she described it through language associated with growth in desire. And that growth and desire had many facets and forms that it took, experiencing the tenderness of God, experiencing the yearning for God, experiencing a sense of God wrapping his arms around you. And she said, 
that this desire grows in intensity as you grow in prayer. And she used that phrase intensity, that in, uh, growth in intensity, and, and the word intensity um, two or three times. And I'm like, you know, I, she's getting at something right, but she's seemingly limited by the language of, of today, of right now. If you look at our tradition, you'll see that the idea of going deeper into prayer is less associated with intensity and more associated with profundity. That intensity is something that's more associated at the surface level of our feelings, our emotions, and going deeper in the spiritual life, even the yearning. The yearning is about uncovering, encountering, and experiencing the ache in the human heart that is that capacity. I can use the word space, but it's not actually a space. It is the spiritual emptiness that is longing to be filled with God himself. And because God is infinite and God has made our hearts to be receptacles where he can come and dwell when he is not dwelling in a union of love with us in our hearts, we will experience this deep chasm of emptiness. And one of the manifestations of that is yearning, is longing. And it is sometimes the fact that it's only by going deeper in prayer that we come into contact with just how deep that chasm is in our hearts. And so you have in the scriptures, deep is calling on deep. Uh, that idea that from the depths of God's heart, he is calling out to us. And that very call from God is unveiling to ourselves the infinite depth within our own hearts. And that's what happens in adoration. In adoration, you have the possibility of encountering the depths of the heart of God that in loving us will uncover, unveil to us the ache, the emptiness, the longing to commune with God ever more profoundly, personally, and in a union of love. That's what adoration is. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, Tom, that's all just so beautiful and profound. It's You can even say it's intense because it exposes my own sense of lack of yearning. And I think I'd mentioned earlier to go without a phone or to limit social media. And I just cannot say enough how that draw towards noise and input and information is such a deadening uh, tool that keeps me. Yeah. So what, what does the catechism say? The catechism actually says that the ache in the heart, that depth capacity that is for God, is attempted. We, we have three strategies for dealing with it if we're not going to deal with it in a healthy way. We try to overlook it or ignore it. We try to crush it or destroy it. And we try to fill it. And we fill it through intensity. Okay. And so that's a beautiful, simple way of saying that, yeah, the world, it gives us many strategies that say, deal with this ache in ways that make it go away or try to, but they all fail because we are at a fundamental level structured to receive God into the core of our being. Well, Carrie, thanks for walking with me through the program. I'm up against the end of my, uh, the time that we have together. Well, pray God's blessings on your day. Join me on Monday for more Sound Insight.